<clears throat> Matthew chapter 5. Verse 38 to the end of the chapter. Verse 38. You have heard that it has been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that you resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if any man will sue thee at the law and take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him too. Give to him that asks thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. You have heard that it has been said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless those that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he makes his Son to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those which love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the publicans do the same? And if you salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans do so? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Let's pray again. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we turn now to your word, which is a lamp unto our feet, and as we look at this remarkable passage, Lord, I pray that you would cause your Holy Spirit to fill us and to help us understand and see and grasp just the depth and the beauty of this amazing passage Lord, this passage is so rich and deep and amazing. And we are so inadequate when we approach it and as we think about it. And we need you, Lord, to enlighten us, to help us to see and understand and to be changed by it. Lord, help us to focus now and help us to see how amazing you are and leave here changed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this passage contains some sayings of Jesus. The ones we have just read are the most famous sayings of Jesus of all time. Do you agree? The most famous sayings of Jesus of all time. And I don't just mean famous today, but I mean these were the most famous sayings of Jesus even in the first and the second, third, fourth century and on to today. Today, if you were to ask the average person on the street, can you give me a, a saying of Jesus, something that Jesus said, most people would tell you, love your enemies. 
turn the other cheek. That's the thing that strikes and sticks with people. These are the most famous sayings today. If you go back in the day to the second century, the early second century, about 130 AD, you find a man named Justin Martyr. Justin was a Christian, and he was writing a letter to the Roman people to explain this phenomenon, kind of Christianity that was exploding and growing and getting into people's lives. And the Roman people didn't really know what to do with these Christians, and so uh, they, they thought they were outlaws. They thought they were worthy of death because they weren't submitting to the regular way of the Romans, which is to acknowledge that Caesar is God and to give worship to the gods, give tolerance to the gods of the Romans. And Justin is explaining Christianity to them. He's, he's really giving a defense of Christianity, saying, no, we're not worthy to be killed. Actually, we found the greatest truth that this world has ever known. And he's telling them about how God stepped into the world through Jesus Christ. And one of the things he emphasizes, one thing that's so prominent in this letter, are these very sayings of Jesus. He's showing off the moral superiority of Jesus to anything this world has ever seen. He's saying, look what Jesus said. Turn the other cheek when someone slaps you on one side. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with them too. Love your enemies, those who hate you. Bless them and do good. This is something that was unheard of. And Justin was showing the Roman people, saying, look how wonderful and beautiful this is. And for this reason, Christ has won the admiration of non-Christians. These sayings, even on the lips of atheists, can be found and admired. I was recently talking with an atheist, and he, he was just expressing his confusion as, how can Christians who claim to believe in Jesus just completely miss these sayings of Jesus to turn the other cheek and to love their enemies. Even atheists admire this. And the reason why these are so famous in the world is because these sayings communicate something that has a profound effect upon men. Because these sayings strike a chord in each one of our hearts that resonates deeply. We know when we hear this that this is true. And we know when we hear this that this is touching the heart of what true morality and goodness is all about, isn't it? We know that when we hear it. Loving your enemies, turning the other cheek. We, ins we instinctively know that is what morality, that is what being good, that is what love is all about. Or we could also say that is what God is all about. And this is precisely Jesus' point. That is what God is all about. The whole mission of Jesus, when he came into the world, it wasn't just to save us from our sins. Now, he absolutely came into the world for the purpose of saving us from our sins. But it was ultimately, through saving us from our sins, through laying his life down on the cross, to show us what the Father was like. The ultimate mission of Jesus was to make God known. That was actually the ultimate mission of God's people. Notice in verse 45, he says that if you do these things, you'll be like the Father. Do you want to be like the Father in this world? Turn the other cheek. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. And you'll be like him. 
And the, the mission of God's people was also the mission of Jesus. The mission of God's people is to make God known in this world. The reason why God selected a people out of the mass of humanity was to teach them the knowledge of God so that they could be light and salt in this world, as we've already looked at earlier in the Sermon on the Mount. Unfortunately, Israel, did they fail or accomplish their mission to be light and salt in the world and to spread the beautiful knowledge of God? They failed. They failed to grasp God because they failed to grasp, they failed to grasp what true righteousness and morality really is. Their leaders had led them astray, and in the Sermon on the Mount, as we've discussed before, Jesus is correcting the people's understanding. In this section, we find Jesus saying, you have heard this, but I say unto you. This is what you think. This is what you've been taught. But this actually is how it is with God. So the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is correcting the view of the people. Jesus does not have a problem with the law of God. He has a problem with the people's understanding of the law because of the Pharisees' teaching of the law. He's correcting this, this false interpretation and application of the law. And as, we've, as I've mentioned, he takes six points of the law to deal with. So last week we dealt with four. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. And you can get divorced. And don't break your oaths. These are the things that the law says. And the Pharisees taught the law to the people. And Jesus corrected their view. He, he said, it's not enough just to not murder. The Pharisees say, as long as you don't kill, as long as you don't take someone's life, then you're not guilty of that commandment. Jesus says, no, no. Even having anger or hatred or calling someone a fool makes you guilty. Well, as long as you don't commit adultery, then you are a law keeper. You are a righteous man. He says, no. If you even look with lust, then you commit adultery in your heart. Jesus is showing them that true morality is, an, is a heart matter and not just a behavioral matter, but a heart matter. Oh, but you can just get divorced. Divorce is allowed in the law. Look, I can point you to the verse where it says you can get divorced. So therefore, divorce is okay. Jesus corrects that and says, no, actually, from the beginning, it wasn't okay. Moses allows this, but can't you see the heart of God? He's against divorce. He hates divorce. And divorce is totally not acceptable or permitted in God's sight unless it's for fornication. That's the only reason. And even that's not a good reason, but that's the only reason. He was showing them what true morality was all about. And then they'd say things like, don't break your oaths. Well, in order to add weight to my sayings, I'm going to say oaths. But if it's a certain kind of oath, then it's not really a real oath. If I swear by heaven, I can break that and it's okay. If I swear by earth, I can break that and it's okay. If I swear by the altar, I can break that and it's okay. But if I swear by the gift on the altar, I can't break that and it's okay. Jesus is saying, this is totally absurd. Be honest and let your yes be yes and your no be yo. Better not to take oaths at all. Let your yes be weighty enough. Speak truth from the heart. And this morning now we turn to the last two points that he addresses.
So let's turn our attention now to verse 38. You have heard that it has been said. Now what's amazing about this is that this is word for word out of the law. What's interesting is the, there's no additional sayings here that the Pharisees add, is there? But neither was there in thou shalt not commit adultery. When he said, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. It does say that word for word. But the Pharisees taught that as long as you didn't just physically commit the act, you were okay. Well, here we, the, the law states, you have heard that it has been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. This is what's called, or it's been called, lex talionis. Have you ever heard of that before? Lex talionis. That is the law of retaliation. Lex talionis. Even our word retaliation comes from this word talionis. It's the Latin word talus, which means of such a kind. And talionis means punishment that is of such a kind as the offense. We have an English saying for that. Let the punishment fit the crime. That's what lex talionis, that's what an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth is all about. And actually, lex talionis is the basis of all justice. Today's legal system works on lex talionis. We want the punishment to fit the crime, right? If you, if you uh, steal somebody's property, you are to be punished for that. You are to repay that. But we don't want to take your life for that, right? Because that wouldn't be an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. So even our legal system today operates on lex talionis or an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Uh, Sharia law exercises an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. An interesting story recently in this century uh, from Iran. I don't know if any of you have heard of Emena Bahrami. I'd never heard of her before. In 2004, a suitor proposed to her in marriage. He proposed to her to be married, and she refused him. And in response to this, her suitor threw a bucket of chemicals in her face and completely blinded and disfigured her. That's horrible, isn't it? Way to say, love, I love you, right? If you could see her, you can. There's pictures of her before and after. She was a lovely-looking girl before, and now she's really hideous today and blind. And it's interesting that Amena wanted, and they were going to do this. The legal system in Iran actually approved of this, and they were going to do it, but they decided not to because of um, activist groups that said don't do it. She wanted a bucket of chemicals to be thrown into his face, and they were going to do that. Isn't that amazing? An eye for an eye. This is what you did to me, and you deserve to have this done to you. It's like just taking your money isn't enough. Just putting you in prison isn't enough. You should have a bucket of chemicals thrown in your face too. Isn't that amazing? But it's amazing they approved of that. And there's a part of us that approves of that too. It's like, yeah, that, you should fit, make the punishment fit the crime. So this is absolutely relevant for us today. Don't ever let someone lie to you and say the Bible isn't relevant. The Bible is as relevant today as it's ever been. So not only is this the basis of justice today, 
It is indeed in the law of Moses. You'll find it in Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. All three books say an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. The Jewish people and I myself, we do not interpret that as literal. Where if someone gouges out your eye, you must gouge out their eye as well. Because you'll actually find in the law teachings where someone does get their eye gouged out and they don't have to get their eye gouged out. The principle is that the punishment should fit the crime. That's the essence of lex talionis. That's the ex essence of this saying from the law. But here's the thing. Whether it's literal or not is not the question in Jesus' mind here. The question in Jesus' mind is whether you should execute it or not. Whether it be literal or not, we can disagree about that. But Jesus here says, don't do it. Isn't that amazing? If someone slaps you on the one side, Pat, give him your other. Don't slap him back as Lex Talionis would tell you to do. If someone sues you and wants to take away your coat, don't sue him and take away his coat. Give him your cloak, also very valuable piece of clothing in those days. What's the problem here? Jesus is correcting. You've heard that it is said, but I say unto you, what's the problem? Is there a problem with the law? Well, I want to say emphatically this morning, there is no problem with lex talionis. Jesus is not saying there's a problem with an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. The law says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. The problem is, is the Pharisees said, very well then, execute justice and give people what they deserve. The law says it and we're going to do it and Jesus says, don't do it. Is he breaking the law? He's going against the grain. Do we give people what they deserve or what they don't deserve? Jesus is not saying the law is wrong. But he is saying that it's wrong to only see the law. Let me say that again. Jesus is not saying the law is wrong. But it's wrong to only see the law. Because there's something more brothers and sisters, that we need to see. There's something more than an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth that we need to see and that we need to live by. Let me give you two reasons why there's something more than eye for an eye or that we need to see more than this. Number one, if we all got what we deserve, we'd all be dead, <laughs> right? The very fact that you and I are alive today is because God has not given us lex talionis. He has not treated us the way that we deserve. Now, think about it for a moment. If God were to treat you the way that you deserved, would you really be here right now? Ask yourself. You made a crime, and if God executed and gave you what you deserved, would you really be here at this time? I hope you don't say yes. If you've ever seen Fiddler on the Roof, there's one scene where Tevia is confronted by the uh, Russian police, uh, him and his group of fellow Jewish villagers, and they're saying, you have to be kicked out of your city. 
Now, there's no reason. They're being wronged. And some of the people in the crowd said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Let's fight them. Let's kick them out. Let's give them what they deserve because they're doing us wrong. And it's true. They were doing us them wrong. I don't know if you've noticed, but these things are wrong. Jesus says, don't resist evil. Meaning, it's evil for someone to slap you in the face. It's evil for someone to sue you and take your coat. It's evil for, so- for someone to force you to go one mile. He's not talking about... Uh, you know, you sin and, and someone slaps you across the face because you deserve it. He's saying somebody's wronging you. This is evil, but don't resist it. It was wrong for those Russian police to evict them. And Tevye responds to the crowd by saying, well, that way the whole world would be blind and toothless. <laughs> he's, he's very profound, actually. If we follow eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, we're all going to get blind and toothless because we all deserve to be blind and toothless if that's the case. The whole world will be blind and toothless or biblically speaking, we'd all be dead. So there's nothing wrong with the law but you go down that road and we'll all be dead. Second reason is this. No one can justly execute it but God alone. In the famous encounter with the woman caught in adultery. She was caught in the very act of adultery. The law says stoner. And what did Jesus say? No, the law's wrong. He didn't say that, did he? Jesus never depreciates the law. He upholds it and he says, true. Yes, 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 she should be stoned. Therefore, whoever has no sin, cast the first stone. Execute Lex Talionis. He that has no sin. And they all walked away, didn't they? Because no one can justly execute an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but God alone. And isn't it amazing that he chooses to not do it? Now, Jesus doesn't just say don't retaliate, does he? That would be amazing enough, I think. If someone slaps you on the one cheek... Just walk away. <laughs> Just hold your tongue. He doesn't say that, does he? He says, give. If someone takes your coat, just let him be. Just be wronged. No, he doesn't. Give. If someone forces you to go one mile, just do it with a good attitude. Give. Give, bless. You see, some people wrongly think that Jesus was teaching passivity or nonviolent resistance. That's very shallow for Jesus. He's not teaching to be passive and just be wronged and let people wrong you. He's not teaching resist them in a nonviolent way. No, he's saying don't resist. Rather, bless. Let, give them the other cheek. Give them your cloak. Give them the second mile. This is not pacifism. This is not just non-retaliation. This is a call to bless your enemies. Now, I hope as I'm sharing this, you could maybe think of someone in your life that you could bless, someone that this applies to. Bless. It's right to bless. How is it right to bless? They don't deserve it. 
We're going to see that in the next sections because God, that's what God does. God blesses. God values. God loves his enemies. He loves his enemies. And before we discuss the love of God for his enemies, one more big question arises in people's mind when they read this section. Well, does this mean we never resist evil? Does that mean that even if someone breaks into your house and is beating up your children and going to steal them, do you not do anything about that? And I don't believe for a minute that's what Jesus is saying. If someone is in need, we ought to help them. So don't take these words of Jesus as saying, you never help another person who's in need. You never stop evil as being done to others. But notice that this is against retaliation. This is against you giving that person what he deserves. When you stop someone from hurting another, you're not retaliating against them. You're protecting the other person. But you're not retaliating against them. This is against revenge. And actually, you ought to have a mind to even bless that person. But yes, we are also to protect other people as well. And I hope that makes sense. I don't think Jesus is in any way saying you should just turn a blind eye and let evil take place. But protecting is different than retaliating. And let's look at verse 43 as we move on here. This is a continuation of the theme. The law says to love your neighbor. It doesn't say to hate your enemy. And the Pharisees took love your neighbor as what's called the negative inference. Well, if it says love your neighbor, then we just infer that it's only your neighbor and you're not supposed to love your enemy. Love your neighbor as yourself. Doesn't say to love your enemy, just your neighbor. And our neighbor is our fellow Israelite. As a matter of fact, it wasn't just the fellow Israelite, because if an Israelite turned out to be a bad guy, he wouldn't be considered neighbor anyway. So really, in their mind, a neighbor was only someone who did good to them, and only someone who was worthy of it. Only someone who was worthy of the name neighbor. Of course, Jesus corrects that view in the Good Samaritan parable when he shows them that your neighbor is really anyone. Not someone within your group, even someone who's opposed to your group, even someone in your group and their group doesn't get along. But here he's more explicit. He says, love your enemies. No, they don't deserve it. Look at verse 44. Here's what an enemy is. Someone that curses you. Someone that hates you. Someone that despitefully uses you and persecutes you. That's an enemy. So an enemy is someone that wrongs you and they don't deserve your love. I don't know. Somehow we can get these ideas of an enemy where like somehow they deserve it. An enemy is someone who doesn't deserve it. Because they curse you, hate you, they despitefully use you and persecute you. And Christ says, love them, bless them, do them good, and pray for them. Love them leads to blessing them, doing them good, and praying for them. You see Jesus praying for men on the cross. You see Stephen praying for those who are about to throw rocks in his face and kill him. You see Paul praying for those who was his fiercest opponent. And they hated his guts and would have been glad if he was dead. In fact, they took a vow they wouldn't eat until he was dead. 
That's an enemy. Love leads to action, brothers and sisters. Love is not what you do. Love is why you do it. I hope that is clear in your mind. When, when Jesus says, love your enemy, or love your neighbor, or love one another, or when the apostles exhort us to love, they're not necessarily telling us what to do, but why we should do what we do. If you love somebody, then you're going to be patient with them, and kind to them, and bless them, and do good to them, and pray for them. Love will be the source and the motivation of your action. And therefore, what is love? Love is when you see that person. Love is when you care about that person and value that person. But it requires you seeing them. I think often we just don't love is because we just don't see them. We just don't look. We don't consider. We don't think about who they are. That even your enemy is someone that's valuable, is someone that God loves and God cares for. Why do we love our enemies? Because God loves them. God does this. Verse 45. He sends the rain upon the unjust as well as the just, upon the evil as well as the good. And this is an amazing thing. God does not just love the unjust as if God is just sitting back and looking at the world and making an evaluation saying, he's good, he's evil, I'm just going to send rain upon them all. The unjust are those who hate God. The unjust are those who are God's enemies. God is not just sitting back, being unaffected. God himself loves his enemies. God himself loves those who hate him and who persecute him and who abuse him. God does this. And we see this, don't we? Not just in him sending rain, but in him sending his son, where God loved this world so much that he gave his only begotten son. And his son was struck on the face. Did Jesus strike back? Did Jesus even say one hard thing back? When he was reviled, he reviled not again. He was beaten. They took away his clothes. They mocked him. They spit upon him. They whipped him. They drove nails through his hands and his feet and put a crown of thorns on his head and, and mocked him as the king that he was. They crucified him. And brothers and sisters, he didn't retaliate. And if anyone could have retaliated, it was him. You see, this whole eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth thing is complicated for us. Because if we execute it, we get what we deserve. Or we can't throw the first stone because we don't have any sin. But is it the same for God? If he execute, executes eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, will he die? No because he has no sin. Could Jesus have picked up that stone and thrown it into that adulterous woman? Yes. But did he? No. Why? Because he loved that adulterous woman. And he loves this world so much. And this is what the gospel is all about. This is the message from Jesus Christ about the Father. 
This is what God wants you to know here today. This is what God wants every one of us to understand, is that God loves you. And his love for you isn't because you're a good person. But he sees you. He sees you. He doesn't just see you as this nameless, faceless blob. He sees you and he cares about you. He, he sees you as very valuable to him, even though you hate him. And he loves you in spite of your hatred of him. So much so that he would pay your penalty on the cross and give you, and give you a blessing and give you eternal life. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that a wonderful God that we have? Amen? Can we all agree that God is absolutely beautiful and wonderful? Jesus is telling us what God is like. God isn't like verse 46 and 47. And you know, it's funny that even as Christians who hear this day in and day out, we struggle with this, don't we, day in and day out? Look at verse 46 and 47. If you love those which love you, what reward do you have? Do you not even the publicans do the same? Do you dare accuse God of being as good as a publican? Is God in your mind just, to, just as loving and good as a, as a publican? No. God is not like that. God does not love only those who love him. If you salute your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Don't even the publicans? He's saying, this is a pretty shallow view of love. Do you think God is like that? God isn't like that. God does not love you because you love him. God does not salute you because you love him. God loves you and salutes you even when you're his enemy. You know, to salute is kind of meaningless for us Westerners because when we salute someone, what do we say? What's our, what's our greeting word? Hello. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what does hello mean? Anybody know what they mean when they say hello? It kind of just means attention, you, I see you, do you see me? It, there's really no meaning there. Hey there, get your attention. Or I'm just acknowledging that you're there. And in a sense, that's a good thing. But it's interesting that in other languages, greetings are much more beautiful. In the Middle East, among the Arabs and even among the Jews, they say peace when they come to one another. Shalom or salem. That's how they greet one another. Isn't that beautiful? Of course, in Jesus' day and today, if you find your enemy, you don't say that to him. You don't salute him because to salute him is actually to bless and to pronounce a blessing. Like, I wish you to have peace. In French, in Spanish, in Italy... The greeting says, good day. It's a blessing. Bonjour. Buenos dias. It's not just, hey, it's, I wish you to have a good day. Of course, you don't do that to your enemies. Have you ever said good morning and you didn't really mean it? <laughs> you kind of just make good morning a hello. 
But when you say good morning, do you really mean, I really wish you'd have a good morning? What if you said good morning and you meant, I will help you to have a good morning? (laughs) So you find this in many different languages, even in the Hawaiian language. Aloha is not hello. Aloha means uh, peace and life to you. So there's many. But to salute is a, is a blessing. If you just salute those who love you, if you just seek to bless those who love you, then how are you any different than, this, than the publicans? You've got to have a righteousness greater than the scribes and the Pharisees. And little do you know that the scribes and the Pharisees don't have righteousness at all. Be like God. As a matter of fact, true righteousness is being like God. That's the point that Jesus is making here. True righteousness, true morality is being like God. In verse 48 he says, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now when he says be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect, only t- but only if you took that out of context could you think that he's talking about you becoming a God. In context, the perfection that he's talking about is the moral rightness of God. God is like this. God loves his enemies. This is what, how moral God is. This is what true righteousness is all about. This is what the law is seeking to express. Be perfect in the Greek means be complete, be mature, Achieve your telos. Telos is your purpose. When you have reached maturity, you are like God in loving your enemies. What's your telos? What what did God create you for? What's your purpose in life? When you finally reach ripeness and maturity as an individual person, what will that look like? Does it mean you'll write the great book that you wanted to write? You'll ride the great wave that you wanted to ride? When you finally have reached your perfection, when you finally have reached your purpose in life, you've got the big house, you've got the big kids, you've got all these things. No, if you have the big kids, big family. (laughs) I always wanted a big kid. (laughs) Brothers and sisters, if you achieve all those things, if you achieve wealth and fame, that castle on the hill that you've always wanted, and if you accomplish those acts that you've always wanted, maybe you want to be this famous singer, this famous musician, this famous athlete. Maybe you wanted to drive 250 miles per hour and feel what it felt like. If you, if you achieve those things and you don't love your enemies, then you have not achieved telos. What does Paul say in 1 Corinthians 13? You're just nothing. To confess yourself to be a lawbreaker and to confess yourself to be unrighteous is in a sense to just admit that you're not God. Every one of us must fundamentally confess that only God is good. That we all fall short of the glory of God. Is that not true? You see, Jesus is sharing these things, but he's not saying this is the way of salvation. 
Now, he did say, you need to have a righteousness that's greater than the scribes and the Pharisees if you want to get into the kingdom of heaven. And now he's showing it what it's going to look like if you want to do that by your own efforts and works. If you want to be acceptable to God's law, and if you want to be acceptable to God to get into heaven, that when he looks at you and evaluates your life, and he says, okay, you're fit to come into the kingdom of heaven, you must be perfect as God is perfect. You must be as good as God. And the first fact of the gospel is that mankind has failed to achieve that. Be honest about it. You might not commit the physical act of adultery. You might not commit physical murder. You might be very loving to those who love you. But are you perfect like God? As he is moral and perfect. In Luke, Luke records Jesus as saying, be merciful as your heavenly Father is merciful, which shows us that the perfection of God that he's speaking about here, it's not his omniscience, it's not his omnipresence, the perfection of God here is moral. It is equivalent to his mercy and his love. Unless you are as loving as God, you're a lawbreaker, and you don't deserve to go into the kingdom of heaven. But what's the second fact of the gospel? That even when we fail to be loving, and even when we hate our enemies, and even when we're an enemy to God, this is the good news of the, of, of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of, of God, that God loves you, that Christ died on the cross for your sins, and you may be saved by grace, that God forgives you of your sin. As we sang this morning, Christ stands before God, whoever trusts in him, God does not lay a charge against them. And I'm so thankful for that because if on a daily basis God judged me, I'd every day be, I'd every day fall short of this telos, every day. Amen? But my righteousness that, ex that brings me into the kingdom of God is not my own. My righteousness is the gift of God through Jesus Christ and what he did for me on the cross not my own works. Have you believed that? Have you confessed that? If you haven't, you're not a Christian, and I would just encourage you today to just confess that you are a sinner and that you need Christ, not to be your example, but to be your Savior, and just trust in him and what he did for you on the cross. Christ will forgive you and cleanse you from all of your sins and make you fit to enter the kingdom of heaven. And if you are a Christian this morning, then this is also a challenge to us to be that witness in the world of those who spread the knowledge of God our Father. We've learned who he is through Christ. And let us also learn to love, press on, as Paul said, to, the, to apprehend that for which I'm apprehended of Christ Jesus, the upward call in Christ Jesus. I believe that's to make God known in this world to reach that, to strive for that maturity of faith, to strive for that maturity of love where we see one another as God sees us, that we value one another as God values us, and that we don't allow others' sins to keep us from blessing and loving. If we allow others' sins to keep us from blessing and loving, how immature we really are. May we be a people who turn the other cheek. 
These are the most famous sayings of Jesus. And rightfully so, they strike that deep chord within our souls. For they tell us not only the truth about morality and righteousness, but the glorious good news of God our Father, who is full of mercy and grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are so beautiful and wonderful that you would love your enemies even when we are blind and ignorant to even what true righteousness looked like, full of self-righteousness and dead man's bones. And Lord, thank you for loving us, each one of us, and thank you for sending your son to be the propitiation for our sins so that we could stand before you as blameless in your sight because of the blood of Jesus for us. Thank you that you didn't retaliate even though you could have. You would have been right to judge us, God. Thank you that you didn't retaliate but that you blessed and gave. And please teach us through the gospel to do the same to not only bite our tongue, but to bless and give to those who persecute us and despitefully use us. Lord, change us this morning, I pray. Help us to leave here seeing one another and loving one another and that our actions would come from that love that we've received from you. Lord, please change us. Please help us to see that that's our goal. Our goal is not to be rich and famous, but our goal is to be mature and to be like you in love. We bless your holy name this morning. In Jesus Christ, our Lord, in, in his name we pray, amen.